I believe that to, to be a designer, you have you have to be a positivist. You have to see the world in a positive way to be a designer because otherwise, why why would you do design any, any single thing? If somebody asked me to design a glass, I will be really happy to design a glass. Some say the world could use a dose of optimism. Well, here's one, or two, or maybe even 10. Juan Carlos Baumgartner is the CEO and founder of Chicago-based architecture and design firm, Space. He's a featured TED Talk presenter, an award-winning architect, and a blast of positive vibes and curiosity. So I, I've, I've been listening to you and you have a deep understanding of the human mind. Uh, that's clear, how people think, how they feel emotions. I kind of feel like you, you could have done anything, yet you chose to design spaces. <laughs> I, I have that sometimes that, that feeling also. And uh, I was very young. I don't, I don't really remember when, since I remember, I always wanted to be an architect. And, uh, and it's funny because I don't come from a family of architects. I, uh, my parents, uh, they don't even know, probably they don't even have friends that are architects. So uh, for some reason, very early in, in my life, I, I decided my, my father is an engineer, so a civil engineer. So I used to go with him uh, when I was a kid to the construction site. And I decided that I love the idea that somebody could imagine these things that didn't exist and then suddenly exist. And I didn't like that much, the, the part that, of the, that my father was doing on building those things. I, I, I was much more intrigued on, on what happens in somebody's brain that they can imagine something that didn't exist. Right. And that's hard. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and for me, it was like when I was a kid and still, I guess, and, and it probably has to do with, with my, my obsession on trying to understand behavior and human brains and stuff like that. But from when I was a kid, I, for me, it was like, like magic, you know, it's like, how come something suddenly can exist in your brain? And then, then we have been able to manage it, to, to create the tools, to make, somebody else understand and somebody else to build it and so the complete chain but from from the beginning starts from nothing from something that doesn't exist and then suddenly start to, to become real so it was yeah. for, for me it was like, like really like magic okay so walk us through how do you take a notion in our heads and help someone else see it Yes, I used to have a teacher that used to tell us that that to be a good architect, you need to be first a storyteller, and that they were not uh, that they all every single good architect that he knew, he was an amazing storyteller and had like thousands of stories to tell. So I guess that that it's 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 a way of communicating. Uh, first, you have to. I, I think that you build your projects many times. You build them into brain. And then you build them when you convince people that they have a, a, something that is interesting to build. And then at the end, and then you build it in the process of actually making the drawings and everything else. And then you build it and you leave it like a gift to, to your clients or the people that's gonna use it. But, uh, but it's, I think it's a process of building your project many times. And one of them is by telling the story of the, the building that you wanna create. Yeah, I can imagine how sometimes 
some of my greatest exploration might even be while I'm writing. You know, for me, I'm writing versus speaking and I'm, and I'm, I'm writing things out and I'm discovering as I write or I'm, bu- I'm building, you know, uh, I'm building with words, you know, but you're building in your imagination. Well, and this, and, and it's very interesting because, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with neuroscience and I'm in the process of getting my master's degree on, on neuroscience in Italy. And uh, I, I hope that I'm, I'm able to go back <laughs> after all this. But uh, it's very interesting because there are many, many things that happen very similar uh, when you, with language, that happens when you build things. And, uh, and there's the, this whole theory that all the things that we create or the things that we build, in, in the case of uh, the built environments, they build us back or they create us back. And uh, so, so this is where many of the ideas of the Azure hand drawing the Azure hand. But it happens very strongly with language. And there are some uh, linguistic neuroscience that are like really concerned that people tend not to be very careful with the language that they use or the words that they use. And, uh, and many times it's because we think that there are only one way street where we create an, or think these words and send it to the to the, to the world and what they what they have proved is that these words that we send to the world are shaping the way our brain is is capable so it's not only that we're just throwing this out and that's it but we're throwing throwing these out things out or our thoughts and in, in, in many ways it could be objects or it could be language it's just half half of the process it's just halfway the other half is that in the process of creating these things in your brain, you have to cable your brain in a certain way to create these things. So you, we have to be very careful with the words that we use because before we send them and we actually use them, we did something in your brain to, to, to be able to create them. If, and if there are negative words and if there are uh, bad words, if you want to call it that way, that's what's happening in your brain. You need to have a brain that is a negative brain to be able to create this type of thinking and then words and send it to the world. So, so it's very interesting because it's in, in language and in physical objects, there's a lot of things that, that happen very similar. The famous drawing by Escher of the hand drawing the hand certainly captures the spirit of what Juan Carlos is so passionate about. I wanted to understand where his obsession with the brain began. His honesty here is both humble and quite funny. And it was very interesting because we were, architectural school is just in front of psychology. Mm. And uh, I ended up spending a lot of time in psychology because there were like very good looking girls over there. So <laughs> I guess that, that I decided it was a good idea to spend time in psychology, probably more time at the beginning than in, in the architectural school. And uh, I ended up getting into uh, ambient psychology for one year at the same time that I was studying architecture. At the beginning, it was mostly because I like a, a girl that I was dating with, and I decided to spend time with her. But then I started to realize that many of the psychologists that were focusing, focusing on ambient psychologists and, and men's psychology, they were more 
concern of the relation between the built environment and humans than many of the architects that I was taking class with. Wow. It, it blew my mind. Many of the things that I started to, I, I guess it was the, the, the moment where I decided that I, I needed to go deeper on the, on the understanding of the relation between built environments and psyche. And, uh, and it was interesting because the, some of the best books that talk about at that time, now the, you can find a little more, but they, they talk about this relation, this deeply profound relation between your body, your brain, and the, and the built environment. They were written by psychologists. They were not written by architects. Wow. They were most of them unknown by, by many of the architects because it's... Architecture is, is one of those things that do, even if we do a lot of interiors, I, I started as, a, as an architect, but it's one of those things that lives in a, in a very independent uh, sphere. We mm. have been able to, to, to separate ourselves from the real world uh, very successfully. We believe that we're very interdisciplinary, but we are really not. The architect tends to have architect friends, tend to talk only about architectural uh, we travel around the world looking for buildings and at the end you end up having a very small sphere and where you live in. Okay, so you're educating as an architect and I, I know that's meant a lot to you. Um, you also have this passion for interiors. When did your love for interior design begin? Mexico at that time and still, like many other countries, uh, the culture of interior design, for example, is it's not uh, it's not there yet. Uh, it's, there are not that many schools where you can study uh, interior design. Uh, mostly, the focus is architecture, and uh, and that that was the way I was trained. So I never took any real interior design classes when I was in, in school. But then I, I, I was invited to work in a firm in Chicago and when I was coming out from, from school. And it was a firm that did only corporate interiors. And when I got there, uh, it was a mixed feelings because I, I got into the space and it was a beautiful loft in Chicago uh, that, that you feel like this amazing feeling of getting a, into a really well-designed space. But I, didn't, I, I was not sure that I wanted to, to, to do interiors because I was coming from a, a school and a, a, a country where interiors is like a second class architecture. So they convinced me and mostly what convinced me was the space. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I loved the space where, where I was gonna work and I said, well, I'm gonna have to work with something that I probably don't love that much but this is amazing. And then I ended up falling in love with interior design. So it was a, it, it was a good decision. I know that you, you know, obviously what people feel has always been very important to you. How do people come into your firm's culture and how do you start to spread this kind of idea that hey, this is what we're trying to do when we create space? I don't, I don't know architects that are not well-intentioned. So I don't know architects that want to do like bad architectural, bad design or damage their users. I haven't, I mean, we all want to do nice things and we all are concerned about the users, some more than others, but, but then you turn around and the world is full of bad design. 
early on, I started to say, well, why? Why we have so many architects that are like willing to do something to change the world. And then I turn around and then the world is full with crappy design. And uh, one of the, I think that's not only one conclusion, but one of the, the, the reasons I think it is that we don't spend enough time to create methodologies that somehow we can measure and somehow we can prove that they, they have some consequences. And, uh, and we have been very good to be able not to measure ourselves uh, as, as, a, as an industry. Mm. So the, 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 I guess uh, I spent a lot of time uh, talking about more than the projects, for example, when I give lectures or, or, or go to universities to talk to students or stuff like that, I normally tend to not to talk that much about our projects. I haven't explained our projects in years. Uh, I try to, to explain what is our thinking process and what we believe and how can we transform that into, um, into methodologies that then can uh, create projects. Okay, let's talk a little bit about interior specifically. Um, I know that you have a lot of thoughts around um, whether or not the world is putting the right level of priority on interiors and how interior designers are shaping them. In a very superficial way, everybody understands the importance of interior design. Even people in the industry, I still many times feel that they don't really grasp the, the real importance of what we do. And and, uh, and, and when you start getting into neuroscience and understanding how we work and how the brain works and memory and uh, how aesthetics uh, are, are cable in your brain, and you start to realize that we don't design spaces. We hack people's brains. Wait, what? Okay, he just said that. But the more Juan Carlos speaks, the more I'm on board. So if you start like taking this to the real depth that it has, well, people will be probably scary to hire anybody to do their interiors that doesn't have like a medical background, for example. That's, but I, I really believe that in the future, that we, the designers are gonna be request to have some type of medical background. Otherwise, you are not gonna be letting anybody touch your brain. And that's what we do with the with the with the objects that we design. We're hacking, really hacking your brain. We can even modify your DNA expression. So the, the the challenge is that I think that people think that they understand the importance, but they are like in in the surface, where if you don't go deeper, well, that's gonna follow in the list, and, and it's not gonna really be important. But I think that's gonna be, that's changing. I think that uh, is, and, and there's no way back with technology and all the, the, the experiments and research that is out there. It's, it's sooner or later, people is gonna start to freak out when they start to understand what the consequences of what we have been doing. Let me actually ask about what's going on right now. You talked about your hospitality clients and the threat that they face um, probably now more than ever people are thinking about their workplace. They're thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go back. Will the physical environment support me? Will the physical environment, well, I feel safe, you know? What's going through your mind there? What are the conversations you guys are having about that? 
this is this should be a stop in the in the in the society so we can we can figure out what are we what are we doing wrong and what are we doing right and 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 we have an an enormous opportunity because we have a quarantine so sometimes i feel that the world decided to give us a lesson that the world is giving us a chance to go to your house four weeks five weeks whatever and then you come back take your time think about it and then you can come back and what is interesting is a lot of people is not using that time to think about what is their new world where i'm going to go back and there are obvious things that are going to change like social distancing well i don't know if we're going to be able to go back to the offices that we were designing before this when you think about social distancing what we should really be thinking is that what is this the, the, the type of society that, that we i want to go back how my company wants to feed in that new scheme of life world what type of services should i be thinking out when i go back to this new world because what what i think that happened is that we we left one world and we're going to go back to another one but we haven't stopped to think what the new world needs how it's going to be and somebody is going to need to design it so that's why i believe that for for certain for a group of people this is going to be a huge opportunity because i think that there's going to be a lot of, of things to be redesigned and not only in the superficial way to say well how can i not get sick again that's very easy but in a deeper way are we really the society that we want to be are the services that i was providing before i left the world are the same services that i'm going to be able or i'm willing to provide when i go back or are those services something that people is going to pay for maybe not i think this is this is the most obvious and the biggest window of, of, of opportunity that we're going to see in our lifetime right about here was where i gave up trying to solicit the next big post covid 19 design idea this was a time to think much bigger And then space, you're right. It's almost like when you start to understand what you're saying, changing your space so that we don't get sick again seems to be one of the easier things to accomplish. A trained monkey is going to be able to do that. Yeah. And yeah. sooner or later. I mean, uh, and at the end, if that's going to happen. And that's going to be very easy. But for example, one of the things that, that I think that many, many people is going to start to realize is that life is too short. Finally, I mean, a lot of people say it. But now you actually realize it. Oh, it's like we can, I, I cannot travel anymore. I, I cannot even go out from my house because I'm afraid of getting sick and die. Well, this should be it. I mean, this is as close as we get to a wake-up call to say, well, life is too short. And one of the things that happens when you realize that life is too short, your business and your purpose should be aligned and should be the same. So, uh, so this thing of thinking that this is this could become a, a business opportunity and in another hand this could become an opportunity to be a better person or to, to find out your purpose i think that the dichotomy still the pre-covid thinking because now you start you should start thinking well i i should have a business opportunity that is the drive that is drive my by my purpose 
how can I transform my organization to have a meaning, real meaning in life? Because I don't want to keep doing something that doesn't change people's lives. So I think that we're gonna, we, we should be able to start figuring out how can you can bring purpose to your life at the same time, have a, a, a transform that into a business opportunity that, that brings value to everybody. The lesson here is clear. No matter where work takes you, there doesn't have to be a separation of purpose when it comes to work and life. Through whatever work we choose to do, we all have our own ways we can help to build a better, happier, or safer world. Well, I would ask if, if you have any advice to share for designers out there, let's, let's think about this group that's, that's graduating in May. They're, they're gonna come into a job market with no uh, opportunity. And uh, they're probably second guessing themselves. They're probably thinking, I should have been a nurse, you know, <laughs> or I should have, you know, whatever, something different. Uh, yeah. what, what, what can we tell these young graduates um, that might give them some hope? Well, I have, I have like two lines of thought. The first one is we have to understand that design is a, it's a magical glass that we can use to see the world as it could be and not only as it is. So in a time of uncertainty, that glass is, is what you want. To have a glass that can, can let you see the world as it could be, it's, it's, it's a magical key to open any, any door. So we have to stop thinking about design as, this, as something really related to objects or spaces. And we, start, we need to start thinking about design as a way of understanding the world. Then when you are in a transition from one world to another, what you're going to need is people that has this ability. So I think that this is, if they understand that they have the ability to rethink the world that we're going to get into, this should be bring opportunities for everybody and, and, and really nice opportunities. The second one, line of thought is that I'm really concerned on, on new generations on how they have been brought up uh, with immediate responses to almost everything. And I, I even think about that a lot with my kids because design and architecture is, an, is, is a field that is not a, it's not a short distance race, it's a, it's a long distance race very long is more close to a marathon than to a 100 meters uh, race and and that's gonna be probably a shock when you're used to everything everything coming immediately from media from no it's like the first time that i took a picture when 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 i had them with my uh, oldest daughter that she was probably i don't know three years old and i took a picture with my phone and she came back running and said, let me see, let me see, let me see. I was thinking, well, this never happened when I was growing up. I took a picture and I needed to wait maybe one month at least yeah. to see the pictures. You were not in that place anymore. It's like, and half of the pictures were really bad. Well, I think that when you are in a career or in an industry that you have to, to be in a, in a long distance race, that doesn't help. And I see a lot of people getting frustrated very easily, uh, throwing the tower, 
towel very easily. And th this is this is something that, that they have to understand. It's gonna take time. Yeah, and they have to be they have to be willing to accept it and 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 embrace it. As our conversation winds down, it's almost as if Juan Carlos just had to get something off his chest. It was important to him to put some context around his optimism. That's funny because uh, I, I I believe that to, to be a designer you have you have to be a positivist positivist you have to be the, the you have to see the world in a positive way to be a designer because otherwise why why would you do design any any single thing I mean if somebody asked me to design a glass I will be really happy to design a glass and then if you are like really rational it's like what can I do in a glass I mean they have been designed already all the good glasses in the world probably it's like what are the chances that you have to do a good glass after so many thousands of glasses have been designed but i will be like really really happy to have the opportunity to design a glass and uh, and i believe that that's uh, a cable that we have wrong in our brains the designers because for some reason we believe that everything single thing is a huge opportunity uh, but but sometimes with what is happening right now it's, it's, a, it's a mix of weird feelings because I'm really concerned of surviving as everybody else, not only physically, with, but with my, my firm. And I have to be sure that everybody is busy and that we can collect and pay. And it's, I mean, it's not that I don't live the real world where I have like real concerns, but then I have this feeling that is in a deeper level that one is more rational than the other one feels more like a feeling of of excitement and sometimes i even feel bad of saying it out loud and i feel bad because I, I, there's people dying and there's going to be a lot of people without jobs and stuff like that but in another hand as my kid was telling me the other day have you think that we're gonna take we're gonna explain to our kids your grandkids how we survived the pandemic and i was thinking well yeah this is this is huge and, and, and then they're going to ask us, how was the world before then? And it was, it, it's going to be really, really sad to tell my grandkids, ah, the same one. It was the same as, as the one we have today. That will be a, a misuse of our future opportunity. I was once told that designers are often pigeonholed as being critics, but that really they're optimists because they always believe there's a better way. As we begin to shape the world that lies around the corner for us, the message from Juan Carlos is clear. Don't be shy about designing that new world through rose-colored glasses, because in a very short time, this new world we build will be designing us right back. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro, and you've been listening to Imagine a Place.